Hi, this is your host, Corbin. Welcome to your guide for Michael Pressman's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Now, I did review Steve Barron's the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film last week, along with your guide to that film. Make sure to check those out since these films build off of each other. I'm going to be reviewing all of the theatrically released Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films, so you're not going to want to miss those reviews. So if you haven't yet, make sure to click subscribe, make sure to give it a thumbs up and share with your friends and family. Now, before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1991 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Beauty and the Beast, Thelma and Louise, Point Break, Cape Fear, Hook, JFK, What About Bob, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, another big franchise for New Line Cinema, Backdraft, City Slickers, and from that year, we have reviewed The Silence of the Lambs, which would go on to win Best Picture, regarding Henry, Star Trek VI, Terminator 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Links to all of those reviews are in the show notes below. If you would like to reminisce more about the films of at 91, then head over to Letterbox.com and make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 63rd Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Dances with Wolves. Unfortunately, the Blu-ray for this film is completely bare bones. It just comes with a theatrical trailer. Typically, Blu-rays and DVDs are where I get a lot of the background information. Also, the internet is a great source, but the DVD and Blu-ray is a primary source, whereas the internet is more of a secondary source. You always want to make sure there is evidence as to what you're reading out there on the internet. Well, Jack Beresford over at Den of Geek has a very well-researched article where he actually talked with one of the producers of the film. So his article is where I got a lot of the information for this sequel and also the third film. He talks about that in his article as well. I will be linking below to his article, so make sure to check that out. The first TMNT film was the most successful independent film of all time. That is until The Blair Witch Project took that spot, and I'm sure it's been replaced by now. But New Line did rush this sequel into production, and they agreed to one major thing. Tamp down on the violence. In fact, don't even have the turtles use their staple weapons. They want to sell toy tie-ins. Parents don't want their children pummeling each other. So just cool it. And they did. Toy companies last time, very similar to how they would be with Batman Forever, listen to that review I just did a couple weeks ago, said we'll hold off. But then for the sequel, they were fully on board and made oodles of cash. What might be most surprising is a new director coming on board. Michael Pressman is here. He had directed a number of TV or B movies no one was really interested in. He's mostly known for producing TV shows. He did produce Lake Placid and the TV show Picket Fences, for whatever that's worth. He also probably came cheap. He could shoot the movie fast and stay under budget, whereas the first movie did go a bit over budget. So you're thinking, where in the world is Steve Barron? Not much has been openly spoken, but Barron didn't get along with the producers, especially Tom Gray. Barron apparently had better offers anyway, such as Steven Spielberg asking him to direct Casper, but he turned him down. He decided to direct Coneheads instead. Paige Turco replaces Judith Hogue as April O'Neil. According to some sources, Judith Hogue felt her scenes were too much cut down in the last one and refused to come back. Now, Hogue told Variety she was never approached about the sequel, 
claiming her omission was a result of the fact she complained about the level of violence in the first movie and the six days a week shooting schedule. Quote, everybody was beating everybody up, Hoke said. I thought the movie suffered because of that. It was something I spoke to the producers about. I think they thought I was too demanding and moved on. Corey Feldman, last time voicing Michelangelo, was caught up on a drug charge. So you can see they're rushing production while having to change important players. The character of Casey Jones is also gone. He was considered too violent of a character to reincorporate into this far more kid-friendly film. But Vanilla Ice does make an appearance to perform the ninja rap, which was a big deal. Another issue was the fact that Turtles creator Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird had final approval. According to Gray, they were very iffy on signing off on certain decisions. Also, Baron did help mediate between them and the producers. With him gone, there was tension approving final things. The most controversial part of the sequel was the inclusion of the brand new sidekick villains Toka and Razor. Of course, fans were hoping to see Bebop and Rocksteady, a mutant rhino and mutant warthog. I didn't want them in any of the movies, Laird later revealed on his personal blog. It's not so much that I dislike the characters so intensely, but more that I found their constant one-note shtick in the first animated series to be extremely annoying and silly to the point of being stupid. On the other hand, Gray said, we wanted new villains because we would get a piece of the royalty, which we didn't have with the first movie. We figured if we created something they didn't come up with, we would get a piece of the pie. It was a business decision. As far as designing the brand new creatures goes, Gray said they were purely the invention of the Jim Henson creature shop. And I will say that is the silver lining of this production, that the Jim Henson creature shop is back to puppeteer the turtles, and the new sidekick villains. Sadly, Jim Henson himself had passed away the previous year. This movie is dedicated to him. Now, there has been some debate about what the actual budget of this movie was. Just to refresh your memory, last time it was $13.5 million. This film has a reported budget of $25 million, a pretty decent step up. Now, the producer, Gray, said that the budget was actually more around $16.5 million, which really is not much of a step up from last time. Once it finally did hit theaters on Friday, March 22nd, 1991, it did open number one at the box office, $20 million. Regardless of what the budget is, this is still $5.3 million than the last film's opening weekend. This is somewhat troubling, especially because it opened in over 800 more theaters than last time. Now, mind you, it is March. There's not a whole lot of competition. We're out of the January-February dumping grounds, but we're not quite to summer yet. So it did dethrone The Silence of the Lambs from the number one spot. That had already been in theaters for six weeks. It actually gained eight more theaters. Now, this is right around the time when the Oscars were showing. Coming in at number three, it was New Jack City. At number four, Class Action. And number five, Sleeping with the Enemy, which isn't a terrible Julia Roberts thriller film. Also, Dances with Wolves was has been bumped up from number eight to number six, and it has been in the theaters for a whopping 20 weeks, and it's still going strong. In its second week, it still stayed number one at the box office. 
Silence of the Lambs coming in at number two. Dances with Wolves jumping all the way up to number three. And it had even gained 83 theaters. Uh, it, it was a big, big hit. And the reason was it had just won Best Picture of the Year. The Oscars had just premiered that weekend. So it makes sense that people were wanting to go see Best Picture. And they're going to keep it. Orion Pictures was about to go bankrupt at this point. So they were keeping it in theaters as long as possible. And it should be noted, Silence of the Lambs was also distributed by Orion. So this was their kind of last chance success. And they were milking it for all it's worth, and I don't blame them. Opening at number four was Universal Pictures Career Opportunities. Going into the third week, we're now in the beginning of April, still number one. But The Marrying Man debuted at number three, pushing Dances with Wolves back down to number four, but that's still highly impressive. Also at the box office, Home Alone was coming in at number nine, which uh, is quite interesting. That's still in theaters, considering it had been around for 21 weeks as well. Finally, the Turtles were dethroned. Their fourth week at the box office, Out for Justice, a Warner Brothers movie. That movie came in at number one. It is a Steven Seagal action film. Uh, it has absolutely horrible reviews. I have never heard of it. Clearly, it didn't stick around and stand the test of time for very long. Unfortunately, there is no cinema score, so I don't know what audiences thought of this film straight out of the theater. Now, according to the Rotten Tomatoes critics rating, it's a 35%. It's pretty bad. 6% 6 drop from last time. It still has a halfway decent 67% audience approval rating, but nevertheless, that's a pretty big drop from 81% of last time. This might shock a lot of listeners. A 45 Metascore, generally mixed reviews, almost straight down the line. Not a big difference from last time. Critics, at least on Metascore, were fairly split on this movie, so they didn't really think it was terrible. Now, IMDb, which is a better gauge over time, I will say, that's a straight 6. So it's below mediocre. It's a pretty decent drop from last time, 6.7, with a letterbox rating of 2.9 down from the 3.3 so these ratings are highly mediocre to very subpar really only the uh, rotten tomatoes critics rating being pretty bad domestically the film went on to gross 78.6 million dollars still a pretty decent profit for a very low budget movie once again I couldn't find any data for the foreign markets I'm not sure it was released in the foreign markets uh, unlike last time but nevertheless, it still did okay. Um, nowhere near the numbers of the over 200 million of the first film. So as you can already see, it's been like straight up a year and audiences are already not interested in returning to theaters to see another Turtles movie. Thank you listeners for coming along with me as I've been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday and tune in the week after as we travel through time. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. 
Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.